Welcome to the Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine podcast, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. Join Dr. Molly Estes as she's joined by prominent women in emergency medicine and other special guests. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Women's Wisdom podcast, uh, hosted by the Women in Emergency Medicine section of AAEM. My name is Molly Estes. I'm clinical faculty at Loma Linda University in Southern California, and I am very pleased to welcome to our podcast today, Dr. Laura Bontempo, straight from the University of Maryland in beautiful Baltimore. Welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So without any further ado, to get the conversation started, we were chatting a little bit before the episode began. And really, you have a very interesting journey on how you ended up in medicine in general. So tell us a little bit more about that. How did you get from point A to point B? I'll start by saying that medicine was never in my plans. Let's start with that. And I think <laughs> when I was a uh, even up to the beginning of my junior year of high school, I thought blood and medicine was just gross and it was not going to be what I was going to do. Uh, I had fallen in love with genetics uh, and I decided I wanted to be involved in the evolving field of genetic engineering. Uh, it was it was probably more advanced than I knew at that time, but I didn't know anyone in the field. So I was trying to figure out which way to go with that and find mentors. And I spoke to someone who said, I'll, I'll not forget this conversation. I was 17 years old. And they said, well, that's great. But if you ever want to touch a patient, you have to be a doctor. And I was like, all right, I'll go to medical school. Fine, whatever. Right? <laughs> so based off of that one statement, you're like, one, ah, okay, I guess I'll do med school. <laughs> but truly off of that one statement, like that's not a joke. And then I applied to combine programs. And from that conversation to being accepted was, what, six months, nine months, something like that. Wow. And, and hence we were off and, and running because I went to the Northwestern combined undergraduate medical school program. So I was committed. I was, I was going. So what was it like being the first person, at least in your immediate circle of friends and family to pursue a career in medicine? You must've felt a bit like a fish out of water trying to share any of your experiences <laughs> with those around you. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It is. Uh, my parents gave me lots of great guidance, but no one in my family was in medicine. I just had uh, one gentleman who was a friend of my parents, the gentleman I had the conversation uh, with, a guy named Sam Aquila, who was a surgeon who worked in the emergency department because in his generation, that's, that's what happened. Uh, and he talked to me about that. So I kind of could bounce a few things uh, off of him and we kind of had fun uh, trading stories a little bit along the way, but it is very odd explaining to your family who are professionals in offices that close, that your office never closes and that you're going to work <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night and 12 o'clock at night. And one funny aside, you know, not being from a medical family, I realized that I, I quickly realized that I had to when my parents called and I couldn't talk, I had to tell them I was going to work because for the first, I think two years, every time I told them I was going to the hospital, they thought I was sick. They thought something was wrong. Oh, so no. I had to, I had to change my, my verbiage very, very quickly to not, to not make my parents fret about what, I, why I was leaving the house at, you know, 10 o'clock at night to go to the hospital. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> out of all of the, out of all of the possible familial miscommunications, the, oh, I'm going to the hospital. What's wrong? That one. <laughs> 
that one is pretty bad. <laughs> so then in this journey of discovery without a whole lot of people to really bounce things off of um, in your life, especially as you're going through your medical training, where did you find um, mentorship and advice? So much, so much of this process, even the process of, I tell my students all the time, matching into residency, applying for your specialty. None of that is nearly as logical or intuitive as the system would make us think it is. We all need people in our lives to try to help guide us through that. Where did you find your guidance? Well, in medical school is for the older medical students. I had wonderful uh, mentors who were professors and, and on clinical rounds. People were very uh, focused on, on education. So that, that was very good. As far as picking emergency medicine specifically, uh, Northwestern had a shadow program where you spent a couple hours in the emergency department. And it was amazing. It was really quite phenomenal. So again, small, small moments in your life make really big differences. And you learn to pay attention to those small moments. And that two hour shadow shift I had in the emergency department where the residents were so welcoming and they didn't put me in the background. They pulled me to the front and they made me get out of my comfort zone and get up next to uh, the patient. I remember a, a patient was stabbed and they were like, no, you're going to come and you're going to look at this. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And it was wonderful. And I loved it. And I thought, wow, I'm going home more energized than I was two hours ago when I showed up. There, there's got to be something to that. And uh, emergency medicine became my path. I love that statement. That it's the small moments in life, those little snippets that actually end up meaning the most. Because it's so true. I think we can all probably look back on our lives and find little hinge points, little pivot points where all of a sudden the smallest single statement or two hours in a location um, all of a sudden changed the direction of your life. Um, how did you arrive at the decision to pursue a career in academics? You've completed your master's of education. You are very well-versed in medical training, um, working with trainees. How did that come about? Well, when I was a resident, I knew what I enjoyed about residency, and I had thoughts about what could be done better in residency. Now, that may sound like I had a big <laughs> ego there, and I probably did, but when you're living it, right, you know what's working and when what's not, and I thought, I have some ideas about this. This could be a very cool thing to do, so I worked at Northwestern for a little bit as an attending. I figured I had to make back some of the tuition that I paid them. I just needed the, the flow of funds to reverse. So I worked for them for a bit, which was wonderful. And then I went to Brigham and Women's in Harvard at Harvard, where I became the assistant and associate program director. And I just learned a lot about residency and the nuts and the bolts and all the things that go on behind the scenes that as a resident, you are oblivious to because you should be oblivious to it. If the residency is working well, you should just be able to be the consumer and get the education, give back, of course, but you shouldn't have to worry about all that stuff that goes on behind the scenes to make your educational journey smooth. So I learned about all of that uh, and then went to Yale to be the program director, and that was phenomenal. You just get to watch people go from student to intern to resident, and then you stand back and you watch them run codes and you watch them run a busy department and you help around the edges, but you watch people go forward on their journey. And then you also, you get emails and you follow people on Facebook and you see where their careers have gone. And you think sometimes 
you get a hint that maybe you've made a difference along the way. And that's, that's a really good feeling. For the first time this last year, I've actually been running into some of my former medical students who are now finishing their residencies. And it's just kind of been that crucial number of years that I've been clerkship director here at Loma Linda. And it's this wonderful moment where you're standing there very, very 80s, you know, sitcom style. Oh, my babies, my babies, (laughs) they're all grown up. Look at them fly. But it really is a lot of that self-satisfaction, isn't it? Oh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And the random email that I'll get every once in a while about someone's accomplishment or something I'll read in a publication, uh, an announcement about accomplishment. It's just, it's just nice to know that you've helped, you pay it forward. You've helped someone else on their journey as people helped you on your journey. And speaking of journeys, tell us about a couple of the latest steps that are coming your way. Well, uh, with AEM, I I can tell you about my journey with AEM since we are in an AAEM podcast. I started <laughs> out actually, I was a speaker at one of the scientific uh, assemblies, which was wonderful. Then someone reached out to me about being the AAEM representative to a guidelines development group with the American Association of Auto Laryngology because I kind of have a niche in head and neck emergencies. And that really opened up a lot of doors for me. I did that. I enjoyed it. I worked hard. Apparently, they must have thought I did a good job because I was invited back to do another one by the organization, by the American Association of Autolaryngologists. So I began to get a little momentum going. As most things, you start small, you gain a little momentum. And then I reached out to AEM and said, hey, if there are any others, you know, please keep me, keep me on your list. I uh, did some more talks at AEM got involved with the Brevi Dolce portion of uh, the scientific assembly, was a regular uh, committee member there, vice chair, you know, standard stuff. You, You work hard, you move up, you move forward. And then all of a sudden I found myself co chairing the scientific assembly. And I thought, how did I get here? That's, that's so interesting because I would look at the people that would do it. And I was so in awe of my colleagues who would get up there on stage and give the opening remarks and, and know even though it's not a very necessarily publicized role, but just knowing that everything was was planned. And that's why the scientific assemblies come off so well, because there's just tons of work that go on behind the scenes and did that for two years through COVID, which was interesting you, and challenging. You. Well, you helped. Uh, <laughs> interesting and challenging. And it was nice to face new challenges. You know, as emergency physicians, that's, that's what we do. Uh, and now I'm running for the AE. AAEM board of directors. That's, that's my latest adventure. And that's actually just going on right now. Which is so incredibly exciting. So one of the, one of the things I find most interesting when we reflect back sometimes on these journeys, because you're absolutely right. It's this hop, skip, jump kind of process through these different things. We're not even usually aware of the fact of how we are moving through the system or moving up in the system, usually when it's happening to us, but it's usually in a moments of reflection that we're kind of aware of, oh, wait a minute, how did, how did I get here? Like you said, what has been the most surprising, I'll say, part of the process or the most surprising thing you've come up on in one of your roles, um, one of your hats that you've worn um, over the last several years? Well, I'm going to answer that a little bit differently. To me, what's most surprising is the amount of support I've gotten along the way because I was a really bad public speaker when I started. And I'm surprised looking back at some of my evaluations. And 
cringe-worthy looking back at some videos or audio, listening to some audio of my talks, going, really? They put me on the stage? That people were willing to give me that opportunity to hone my skills, that when I got bad reviews, I wasn't pushed to the side. What's surprising is that people said, okay, here's how you do this. Here's how you improve. Let me go to your next talk. Let me listen. Let me give you feedback. Let's try again. Put me back on a big stage, a national stage. And then with time and effort and with studying, I want to be clear about that. It is a skill, same as any other, uh, that I was given these opportunities and given the ability to improve. I have to say that that is definitely one of the things I'm most proud about for our organization when it comes to cultivating new speakers and new educators is that we are very good about giving opportunities and feedback and truly helping people grow. I think back to my own experience as a fellow doing um, open mic, uh, the open mic competition and Marianne Howie was sitting as one of the judges and she looked at me, she's like, okay, so I'm going to give you some feedback. And she got really excited about it. And as a brand new speaker, I'm like, okay, hold on. Where's this going to go? It's like, you're great, but these are the things you can work on. And she gave me three super specific things that I wasn't even aware that I was doing. And it dramatically changed um, my entire approach from that point forward. And to be able to be part of an organization, part of a team that truly believes in giving real feedback and helping people grow and giving people opportunities is just an absolute privilege. So absolutely. You wouldn't go and put a central line in without studying how to do it, without having someone help you do it, without someone giving you feedback. Why give someone a microphone on a national stage without the same process going on? And I studied, I studied public speaking. I, when I heard myself and I knew I wasn't doing it well, I thought this is ridiculous. And I studied it and uh, I think I've gotten better at it. At least my reviews seem to say I've gotten better at it. Well, I think I find it absolutely hilarious that you were ever a bad public speaker because yeah. I've heard you speak uh, several times over the last three, four years and you were wonderful at it. So job well done. And I can put in central lines faster now than when I was an intern. <laughs> so that's, that's how that works. All skills, all skills can be learned and improved upon. Well, as we draw a little bit towards um, the end of our time for the purposes of this conversation, I'm curious, what are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do outside of medicine? Free weekend, anything in the world is possible. What do you do? Well, in the winter, I'm skiing. That's if, well, you know, when there was snow, not this year, but other years when there was more snow and as much as I can this year uh, as well, uh, really hitting the slopes when I have a day off or, or two days off. It's just a fun family activity that we've done. I mean, we got my kids on skis very early and it's something that's good exercise. It's outside. You know, you can't text and ski. You can't answer email and ski. So it's, it's a very nice way to unplug, get exercise and get family time. To me, it's the perfect activity because you can wrap all those things together at the same time. I mean, I guess you can text and ski, but it's a really good way to meet ski patrol. So yeah, I don't, I don't advise it. Don't I've never, I've never tried and I don't plan on trying now. Do not advise zero stars. Um, yeah. What mountain did you grow up on? Oh, I, this is an adult thing. Uh, my kids got skiing early, but I didn't start skiing early, but I've, I've skied in various uh, spots now that I'm an adult and can buy plane tickets. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> Favorite spot you've ever skied? Favorite spot? Killington in Vermont. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm taking notes because I, I'm a snowboarder myself, but I've been trying to be a little bit more diligent about getting out there and doing it for the last couple of years. I've been trying to 
actually go and make a thing out of it because I super I really enjoy it myself too. So what makes Killington amazing? There there are probably better mountains out there, but I've had such great experiences at Killington skiing with friends. And that's really where I where I learned how to ski well as an adult. So it's that whole, you know, journey to accomplishment. You always have good thoughts about learning a place where you learn and where you learn to get good at something. And I think that that's probably the perfect metaphor to kind of draw things to a close on. It's all about who you're with, what you accomplish and what you learn in any given place at any given moment. So thank you so, so much for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule in order to do this podcast with us. It's been great hearing more about your journey and your story and just getting a chance to chat. Well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's really great to add my name to the list of incredible individuals that you have interviewed for this podcast. I am, I'm honored to be included on that list. The privilege is entirely ours. And to all of everybody who is listening out there, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to this latest episode of the Women's Wisdom Podcast. We are always looking for more people to highlight and to share their stories on our show. So please, if you have any suggestions for people you would like to hear with, send them my way. We'll see you all later. Bye hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.